We invite you to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. We'll read one verse of scripture for our text, and that verse will be verse 8. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. A very one-sentence statement, very profound. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And to that we would say amen, and we would not have it any other way. But to get you thinking on our subject and just to get our brains active, I would begin by asking a question to you. Are you the same today that you were yesterday? Completely? Totally? No. You know, think of things that are the same or that remain the same. And it won't be long, you won't come up with nothing but God and His Word. I mean, some things remain the same, but not in totality, do they? I mean, you're the same person today. You have the same name. You have the same address and what have you. You may not even weigh the same today that you did yesterday. But again, when we get into our moods, our emotions, our feelings, and all of that, we don't go a day the same, much less two days in a row where we could say, well, I'm the same today that I was yesterday. And that doesn't even lead us to adding a third day of tomorrow. I mean, again, we struggle with two. If three would be impossible to be the same in every way three days in a row. And then, of course, we have in our text the thought of forever, which, you know, is just hypothetical for us as human beings. But yet the text says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, what's the text talking about, and what are we talking about? What is the subject matter here? Obviously, if we're talking about change or no change, which would be the same, we're talking about immutability. We're talking about the immutability of Christ, as is stated in this text. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And aren't we thankful that that is so? Aren't we thankful that our Lord and our Savior is the same yesterday, today, forever? What if He was like us and He forgot? What if He was like us and He changed His mind? What if He was like us and said, well, yesterday that was okay, but today it's not okay. Or yesterday that wasn't okay, and today it's immoral. You know, I mean, human beings are as fickle as the weather, aren't we? I mean, and that's due to sin, and we realize that. That's our Constitution. It would be foolish to deny it. Just acknowledge the source, and we've got to go with it in that regard. But not so with our God and not so with our Lord and our Savior. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Back to the first chapter of Hebrews, if you look at it with me. The Bible states this similarly in some ways in verses 10 through 12. Hebrews 1 and 10, Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish but thou remainest, remainest. Again, we, are, we may not be the same five minutes from now that we are right now because we may not be breathing five minutes from now. 
And at some point, we're going to change from the land of the living to the land of the dead. But the Scripture states, other things, they perish the created things of which we are, but thou remainest. Now again, how many things you know that remain? Well, we might know some things that remain. You know, a big piece of rock or something might still be there for our generation, but who knows, it could be gone tomorrow. But we're told in Scripture, things are not going to remain. It says here, They shall wax old as a garment and as a vesture. Thou shalt fold them up and they will be changed. But thou art the same and thy years shall not fail. Our years are going to fail. I mean, even if we were the same every day in our life, there's going to come a time when we die, and we're going to change then. There's going to change going to be coming then. But our God remains the same. Remaineth, verse 11, is eternal. Verse 12, thy years shall not fail. Eternal, thou art the same. So again, when we get into this sameness or immutability, ultimately we end up with nothing but God and His Word. And that's about it. Now, there are numerous scriptures that speaks of the immutability of God. And uh, we mentioned one, I think, just last week or what have you. It's very close to where we're at. It's in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17. For every good gift, every perfect, perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Again, speaking of the sameness remaining the same. Malachi 366. I'm sorry, not 66. Malachi 36. I said it twice is a scripture that reminds us about the Lord saying, I change not. Okay? So we're talking about the immutability of Christ. We're talking about the immutability of God. We're talking about the immutability of the Trinity because the Trinity is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we're talking about the immutability of God or of Christ, any of that, all of that, we're talking about God is the same in His being, in His essence, and in his attributes, okay? Who he is, who God is, does not change and cannot change. That really is what identifies him as God. Not the only thing, but one of many things that identify God as God, as being creator, as being eternal, while we are the opposite. Now, again, that is hard for the human mind to conceive because everything we know of changes. And yet if you've lived very long and you know much about the Word of God, you should know by now it does not change and the truth in it does not need to change. We're told so often, well, things change with the times, yes, and usually not for the good. You know, I'm not saying there's not good things come along. But overall and in general, we're told things deteriorate, things get worse. We preached on that not long ago. Evil men and seducers will get worse and worse. If God doesn't restrain it, everything's going downhill. God does not change. That means he doesn't get any better. 
He doesn't have to. He's as good as it gets. And he certainly doesn't lose anything at any point in time. That scripture in Hebrew said, the years don't affect God at all. Nothing affects God. God remains God. I mean, to our understanding again, He is that rock. He is that piece of granite that no matter what happens to it or is hurled against it or happens around it, never changes it, never faces it in any way, shape, or form. And I say again, aren't you glad that our God is so in that respect? So again, get it, immutability, we're talking about the Trinity, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in their being, which again is a subject we could cover from now to the end of time. We would never understand all the being of God. The essence of who God is and the attributes of God do not change. Neither increase or decrease, okay? Think of it in respect. For God to change, something would have to be added to or something would have to be taken away. That, that's what change is. It's a gaining or a losing or something, isn't it? Not so with God. We would say this to clarify. God may change His means, but that doesn't mean God changes. God can do the same thing different ways if He wants to. But that doesn't mean God has changed or changed his mind about anything whatsoever. His being, essence, and all of that attributes are still one. His purpose, his decree, and all of that remains the same, even though he may say, I'm going to do this this way this time, and the next time I'm going to do the same thing a different way. God hadn't changed. He just changed the use of means. And he's free to do that because he's sovereign. In fact, he does it for that very reason, to show us how sovereign he is. He is not limited between A and B. He can expand between A and Z and do it however he wants to. So we thank God for that. Well, what is the importance of immutability? Let's talk about that a little bit. Now, the opposite of immutability, which is no change, is mutability, which is change. Anything that is mutable is something that can or will change. And I challenge your thoughts again here. What are we talking about and what process naturally follows when you talk about change? Something that is mutable. With anything that changes, there is what we could say a degree of uncertainty, right? I mean, the weather's going to change. The weather stays in a constant state of change. You're uncertain whether to take an umbrella or not take an umbrella, whether you need to wear a long sleeve or not. You know, I mean, any time, any kind of change of any kind is involved. There's going to be a degree of uncertainty to us. I mean, unless you're just a nutcase and a fatalist and don't care about nothing, but even then it would be a lie. Human beings uh, are vulnerable to uncertainty. And if you're normal, you don't like uncertainty. You know? I mean, it's like a domino effect. When there is a change, okay... There's a degree of uncertainty. We get concerned. And then what happens? Well, here's doubt. Oh, there's fear. 
Oh, I'm anxious, and now I'm going to worry about it. I mean, that, it's just a natural process. And where does it all start? Because there's change. Because something doesn't remain the same. And really what we're talking about in a sense is instability, right? I mean, stability is good for us as sinners. As sinners, we need stability because sinners makes us naturally unstable in our thinking, in our actions. Sin carries us in unstable ways to do unstable things with unstable consequences. and all. You know all of that. God in the Bible gives us certainty and stability. What I'm talking about is no faith, uncertainty. Fear, anxiety, all of that. And when you have faith, there's stability. What's your faith hooked on to? Somebody? There's no certainty in that. But if it's locked into the immutable God, then you have stability. And when you have stability, what? Calm, peace, assurance, all the opposite of those things we, we just talked about. So again, if God were not immutable... We would live in a constant state of misery. And unfortunately, a lot of religious people do because their God is not our God. As the Bible says in Deuteronomy 32, I believe it is, our rock is not their rock. And that's true of a lot of people because there's only one God that's immutable and that's the God of the Bible. There's only one God that's creator and therefore only one God can save and that's the God of this book, not other books. They're not the same God. Let me give you an example of this. I believe it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about, and that is Greek mythology. Okay, I, I've wondered, I didn't look this up, but I've often wondered. I wonder when the pagan Greek idolatry became labeled mythology. Because when it was going on, it wasn't mythology. I mean, Paul at Mars Hill in Acts 17, uh, history tells us again, I tell you often, 200 statues or monuments or memorials to 200 different gods and one to the unknown god just in case they missed one. And then it became the literature of Greek mythology, you know, of all that. But what was the problem with that? Well, the problem was all their gods were like people. They were moody. They were fickle. They had hunger desires, thirst desires, sexual desires, and their moods changed. They were just like people. They weren't gods at all. Elevated people. And notice the misery and the chaos of that. They didn't stay the same. Zeus or this one or that one could change their mind and do something that yesterday they wouldn't have done. And where did that leave the people that worship them? Just the mere recipients of either anger, their wrath, their love, their pleasure, their mood swings, or whatever else. That's pretty miserable, isn't it? I mean, we have to deal with our own moods and our own emotions and all that, and then we have to deal with the moods and emotions of everybody else we know and are around, right? I mean, and we know how that is. God is not so. But what a mess it would be if He was like that. Well, it'd be, again, worse than Greek mythology, I suppose. But again, instability happens because of change a lot of times because we don't know. 
We don't know. Maybe the change is coming. And when the change does come, we don't know the extent of what's next or what the ramifications or the consequences. And again, those dominoes just fall and we don't know which one's going to fall next and how quick they're going to fall and how they're going to, you know. And that leaves us in a state of uncertainty because we can't prepare, we can't plan, we can't get ready because we don't know. So change in that regard, mutability in that regard, creates chaos and misery and confusion, doesn't it? Well, we don't want to bring that into the religious things of our soul and our spirituality, do we? We don't want to live in that kind of chaos. We have to live in that in the flesh. But who would want to live with that in the soul? Wondering about if the God you're worshiping today is going to be the same tomorrow. Maybe He's going to demand something tomorrow that you can't fulfill that he doesn't demand our God is not that God Christ our Lord our Savior the same yesterday today forever I mean again so many people you can't figure out their mood swings and what have you or their perspective and people are unstable I mean again think about it people today say well that's wrong you know and tomorrow when it gets close to home to them they may say well that's not as bad it's probably all right to do that you know I mean People's morals change, their moods change, emotions change. I mean, all of that. But not so with God. If you're in the business world, business changes, economics change, supply demand changes, uh, government changes, politics change, politics change. Governments make laws, repeal laws, put them back again, do this. It's, but our God is not so. And again, I'm just saying to you, all of those bring instability, uncertainty, fear, worry, anxiety, and all that other things that triggers every emotion we have. <laughs> As I was thinking of this, I thought of a, I'm going to mention it, an old song <clears throat> that shows that uncertainty. Of, uh, I laughed the first time I heard it. I don't remember. I, I don't think I ever heard it within the last year. But it's some old song. I think it pour along the country gender, but the guy's singing and saying, he was going to check in to see what condition his condition was in. You know? <laughs> and I thought, boy, that's that that's about right. We, we don't really know, you know, what condition our condition is in uh, because of change and the, the way we change with things. So again, the world, everyone, and everything is in a state of change. But you know what's good to know today? If you don't get nothing else, hear this. God's in control of every one of those changes. They aren't happening accidentally or without purpose or without design. Everything that happens that changes, whether it's a president or your change of clothes, God is sovereignly over it all. And that's because he does not change. And so again, it's very important that the God that we know and believe in and declares and manifests himself be immutable. Because if he was anything but immutable, we wouldn't have a God. We'd just have another one of us. That's all it would amount to. Let's talk about a little bit the blessings of God's immutability and then we'll get into what's said in the text about Christ specifically in the immutability applied to Christ. I think there's one word I'd like to inject here to help us in trying to understand immutability. 
and I've touched on it a lot already in application to us. And when you think about God, and I think this is uh, something that is a grave error today, uh, people have humanized God way too much today in this generation. Now, it's always been the inclination of man and sinners to deify himself and humanize God. Well, we've really got God down on our level today in a lot of Christianity by the names and the treatment and the way he's prayed to and the way he's personified to be and what have you. But God needs to be thought of as non-emotional. And today he's made so emotional, isn't he? I mean, he's been drugged off the throne. All of his holiness was left in heaven or somewhere between heaven and earth to drag him down here and making the emotional person like our neighbor or our good friend that we can hold hands with. God is so much more than that. And again, it's like the old saying, your worship of God and obedience to God will be no higher than your perspective and knowledge of God. No wonder we got people doing the things they do today and call themselves Christians. They've drugged God down here. He's not on the throne up there. He's down here, wallowing in the mire with us. Is where they've drugged him. And that makes everything they do all right. Because they're his, he's their buddy. God doesn't operate on emotions like we do. In fact, the one thing that we need to define God with is God is God because of His holiness, not because of His feelings. Really, the holiness of God defines everything about God. The holiness of God dictates everything that God is. Whatever God is pleased with, He's always been pleased with. Whatever God is displeased with, He's always been displeased with. His holiness will not allow Him to change. God does not look upon something with a frown today and a smile tomorrow or vice versa. Nor a hundred years today or a million years, it's not going to happen. God, That's what we mean by immutability. That's what we mean by the same yesterday, today, and forever. But again, God in this generation, and sadly even in Christianity, has been drugged down to be, well, you know, and I understand the, let's see if I can say, anthropomorphic morphic language that we have to use to describe God. Meaning we have to use human language because we don't have any other language to try to portray God. But I, I tell you, some I just don't say a lot of stuff, and I'm not going to say a lot of stuff in my right mind that a lot of people say, well, God's heart is just breaking today because I don't believe that. You know, that, that, that's got God in heaven up there just all upset and wringing His hands and weeping and brokenhearted because of what? God is so much more than that. God's holiness keeps him from dropping to that level. One measly little puny creature down here is going to send God into emotional disarray? Forget it. Forget it. We're talking about God who all the nations of the earth are nothing but a drop in a bucket. You're not going to upset God's apple cart. 
He can be pleased with you or displeased with you. He can chasten you or not restrain you or whatever, but you're not going to throw God into an emotional turmoil over anything. Neither is everybody at one time going to do that. But that's the God that's presented in many churches and pulpits today. You know? Don't reduce God to that. Don't ever get away from the holiness of God. When you think of God, you need to think synonymously God is holy. God is righteous. And that prevents Him to stooping to where we are and where men have drugged Him today. So there's a blessing in that that whatever God loved yesterday, He still loves today. Whatever God hated yesterday, he, didn't ha- he, he still hates it just as much today. Not more, not less. All the same. No degrees in that manner with God. It's the same. His holiness. That holiness is like that, that great big thing that keeps everything as it is. Because if God was to love something more today than He did yesterday, then His holiness is not 100% intact. Or if He hated it less or something. If that changed or varied, then His holiness is destroyed. It's out the window. That's what keeps it all intact. Whatever God said was good 4,000 years ago is still good today. As far as morals, ethics, His law... It doesn't need to change with the times because man's not changing with the times other than to get worse and worse. He still needs the same laws that were given at Sinai. It don't matter if you're wearing a sheepskin or a $1,000 suit. You still need the same law of God. don't matter if you've got a Ph.D. or you can't write. You still need God's law at Sinai. God doesn't change. You say, well, well, God looked fa- well, God was favorable here and then He got mad and angry there. That, well, God didn't change. You did. Or they did. You did something to move out of the pleasure category over into the displeasure category. Probably a sin, say. You disobeyed. I mean, God, God's got a clear-cut line between good and evil, right and wrong, and all of that. And when you're in the right, God looks upon you with pleasure. When you do something wrong, God doesn't change. You just moved over into the wrong category. Now you're worthy of judgment and chastisement. I hope you see that. So, what a blessing that God is always the same. Whatever He said hundreds of years ago is still just as true today and just as applicable today. The love he had for Moses is the same love he's got for you. You know, I mean, everlasting love because he's an eternal being. And that brings us to his word, which we must include here. Whatever God has said is still intact. Because if he's immutable, what he says and what he lays down as law is still immutable. Forever thy word is settled in heaven. It's, it's settled. I mean, writings of men and again, laws and trends and cultures and all of this is always in a state of change and usually never for the good. But what God has said never changes. Here's the place you can go to and stand on solid rock. It's been solid rock for a long time and it's not going anywhere in the future. What God has said, who God is, who God manifests Himself to be. That's a blessing. It can comfort me like it did Jacob. 
It can comfort me like it did Paul. The same truth to them is just as real to me today. Because it's truth and it came from an immutable source. A God who cannot lie, who cannot err in any way, shape, or form. The eternality of God. God didn't have a beginning. God doesn't have an end. How stable is that? The same forever an eternal being. We can wrap our head around that. But again, the point being, if God were an individual or being of time, then He's down here with us. Time is something that God purposed and decreed should be. He is not bound by it like we are. He controls it. He was before time, and time's going to end, and there's going to be eternity. We're living in time. God was before it, and God will be after it, and so shall we believe. What a, what a comfort that is. Plus, God's omniscience. I want to mention that. Omniscience meaning the attribute of God knows everything. So there's no uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in the next millisecond. God is always known. I think Daniel just ran her hand through her hair there a minute ago. Maybe one fell out. You know what? When did God know about that? <laughs> when is he not known about it? What did Jesus say about it? That detail? Yeah, that detail. There can be somebody, no, not a somebody, God. If he wanted to right now, he could tell us how many, how many hairs was in Moses' head when he was born, if he had any, and how many was in his head when he died. Or let's make it a bigger challenge than that, shall we? Let's make it Absalom, who sounds like had more hair than anybody that ever lived. God knew. I mean, God is omniscient. So therefore, there's no surprises. He has seen it all, and I can't say from the beginning because there's no beginning. God has just always seen everything that is and would be because He's God. If there was ever a time He did not know anything, then He's not God. He's mutable. You see what I'm saying? I mean, this is so big because immutability is one of those perfect attributes of God that encompasses all knowledge. Where's our doubt and fears and anxiety and stuff? We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen next. There may be a change that we don't like. There's lots of changes in life we don't like, isn't it? Never happens with God. God knows every change because God purposed every change. God's in control of every change. And that goes back again to His omniscience. He's the one that brings about change, allows change, however you want to put it. So our comfort is, again, he's always the same. He doesn't change his mind about anything. What he is is what he will always be. What he said is always going to be true. There's nothing about God that changes. That is a tremendous blessing. And we think, again, I must at least draw your attention to this. Think about the people that serve gods who are no gods. And they're just like them. They're in a constant state of change. They have no assurance. 
because they don't know if they're going to be the same tomorrow. Well, he wanted seven sacrifices to die. What, what if he wants 70 tomorrow and we don't have them? You know, people who've lived in pagan, heathenism, idolatry, mythology, whatever you want to call it, that's the misery they live in because their God is mutable. Well, yeah, he's mutable. They created him. He's a figment of their imagination. They mold him with their hands. He has ears, he can't hear, eyes, he can't see, mouth, he can't speak. Can't do nothing. Not so with our God. He's a rock. He's a rock that cannot be moved. Let's talk about here in conclusion, the last point of the immutability of God manifested in Christ specifically. Okay? Now, the text is speaking specifically of Christ. We can't talk of Christ without talking of the Trinity and inclusive of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But let's draw our attention to some things concerning the immutability manifested in Christ Himself. I want you to look with me in Revelation 1 and 4 to a complementary scripture as Jesus introduces Himself to John here on the Isle of Patmos. And in Revelation 1 and verse 4, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be to you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. There again is our three time frames of our text, even though they're not in the same order, of yesterday, today, and forever. The past, the present, and the future. And all inclusive there of what we know of as time in that regard. Now, first of all, let's talk about Jesus Christ, His immutability in the yesterday of time, or the past, okay? And we're going to put this even before He came into the world born of a virgin, okay? Before He was incarnate. What was He? He was the eternal Son of God, okay? So, so we went back in the past, as far back in the past as we can go. And even before creation, Jesus Christ was the eternal Son of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Hebrews again, that first chapter, chapter 1 there, and uh, verse 3. I'm sorry. Verse 2, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Does away the idea that Jesus Christ is a created being. No, He's the eternal Son of God, and much more Scripture could be given to substantiate that. Is He still the eternal Son of God? Absolutely. Will He always be the eternal Son of God? Absolutely. I mean, the very word eternal solves that for us, doesn't it? And He's the only begotten Son, so there's not going to be another Son. He can't be less than a Son. He's the same Son He's always been, and that's the eternal Son of God. However, the eternal Son became the incarnate Son. He didn't cease to be the eternal Son when He became a man. He just manifested Himself differently. For a very good purpose, right? For the cause of redemption. He was still the eternal son. He just took himself a human body. And was born of a virgin for the purpose of redemption, didn't he? 
So again, the same. When Christ walked this earth, let's go back. When He was a little babe in Mary's arms and on her breast, He was still the eternal Son of God. He was just made in the likeness of human flesh. At His own will, His own good pleasure, His own purpose, His own discretion. He did not cease to be one thing when He manifest or became something else. He was still God. He was still the Son of God. He was still the only begotten of the Father. He may have been the firstborn of Mary, but He was the only begotten of the Father before He's ever the firstborn of Mary. You got it? He didn't lose nothing when He became man. He didn't even lose His glory. He didn't lose His status. He just set that aside for a time while he was down here. So yesterday of time, going back before Christ came into the world, was born of the Virgin and lived a short life upon this earth of about approximately 33 years. He was the eternal Son of God. He became the incarnate Son. And in so doing so that He could be the Savior of sinners such as you and me, And when he finished that work by dying, shedding his blood, and resurrected, raising himself up, the Bible says he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 1 and 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So there is the Christ of yesterday or of time past. The Bible says, our text says, He's the same yesterday and today. Well, what about the Christ of today? Well, it's just where we left off. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Nobody has seen Him since as far as being back to this earth. So he's still there. Today, in the today of time, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the eternal Son of God, the immutable Christ, is still alive and well at the right hand of his Father's throne. Can't be said of any other deity, any other kind of God, all the rest dead and buried. Very unique. You can't put another name in there and say it's the same yesterday, today, forever. These individuals that created other denominations put their name in there. It's a lie. They're not the same yesterday, today, forever. They weren't the same person with the same polities, with the same doctrine or nothing. All you see is a state of fluctuation. I laugh at it. It's a joke. It's sad for those who are deceived by it, but that is a joke. I mean, a perfect example. Charles Tazzy Russell created the Jehovah Witness. When he started, he said it's going to be 144,000. Well, guess what? When they hit 144,001, he had to change his doctrine. False denominations always have to do that. They're man-made. They're not God-made. Our Lord is alive and well. 
He got it all right the first time. Everything he said was right the first time. He didn't have to go back and make amends, change anything, rewrite anything, redefine anything. He got it all right. He's alive and well at the right hand of the Father where he's been for 2,000 years plus now making intercession for us. He interceded for us at Calvary. The fact that he is alive and well with wounds in his hands and in his side and seated at the right hand of the Father means he's still interceding. The very fact of where he is is our intercession now. He doesn't have to do anything now. He did it all when he was down here. That's why he was worthy to sit at the right hand of the Father and his very presence is our intercession. Praise God. The work of redemption that he did when he was here on this earth has not changed. It's the same. It doesn't need anything added to it to save sinners. The blood that was shed 2,000 years ago is still sufficient to save a sinner today. It hadn't dried up and gone away. It is able to wash clean the worst of sinners. That work of redemption, when he said it is finished, it was finished for the ages. Finished for everyone. Finished for all time. All sufficient, vicarious, efficacious. I realize those are theological words. That means it's the best of the best. It covers everything. It did everything it was supposed to do. It was capable of doing everything God wanted it to do, and it's still in effect today. We sang the song, There's Power in the Blood. There's just as much power in it today as the day it was fresh and, bleed, and dripping on the ground from Calvary's cross. Just as powerful. You know how time wears out anything? Again, we're not talking about man here. We're talking about God. We're talking about redemption in Christ. We're talking about the grace of God that is just as fresh and new and powerful today as it was the day he died. No uncertainty. Well, I wonder if I can be saved today. It's been 2,000 years since the cross. I wonder if the promise... It's still just as good as it was then. That's the message we preach. The gospel message. Believe and repent. Repent and believe. Come now. Take of the water of life freely. All those things are just as powerful, just as forceful, just as meaningful, and just as genuine as they were when they came forth out of his mouth. I mean, think of that. Human words lose their power, lose their meaning, human doctrine, human teaching. It loses over time, not the words of God. When Jesus stood in that marketplace and said, Ho, let everyone that thirsts has come to the fountain of life and drink freely. Just as powerful today when I said it just like that. When somebody reads it from the pages of Scripture, it has the same power. The power of gospel. We don't need to add anything. You don't have to add anything. That Jesus preached, all preached, we preached just as powerful today as it was when they preached it, except that they were better at it. And Jesus did. But it's the same message. So we don't have to worry about whether the message we preach will save sinners tomorrow, next week, or next year. No, it's always. Because Christ finished that work of redemption forever. So that is the today of time. But you know what? 
Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today. What we're saying today with the gospel today is the day of salvation may not be true of tomorrow. Because tomorrow is a foreign thing to us. I tell you, as I close here today, I think that the Bible will substantiate this, that you and I ought to think about tomorrow as if tomorrow was a trillion years from now. Because that's just how uncertain it is. The Bible does not emphasize tomorrow. The Bible emphasis is today. The word today, I forget how many hundreds of times the word today is in the Bible. And I realize in a lot of cases it's just a narrative talking about a day of time. But it also talks about as far as redemption, preparation, and other things like that hundreds of times. Tomorrow's not even in there a hundred times. I mean, you know, Tomorrow is the time sinners like to think about. Today is the emphasis that God puts on it. In fact, as I close here, I, I want to try to drill this point home if I can. We ought to think about, if we're thinking biblically, we don't think much about tomorrow. We think about today and forever. That's the thing of a believer. Today, and I'm not saying be a fatalist like tomorrow's never going to happen, but we don't know if tomorrow's going to happen. All we can do today is make plans for tomorrow and realize that again, tomorrow may not be tomorrow. Tomorrow may be forever. What, what am I talking about? Well, Jesus Christ yesterday, today, and forever, He's not always going to be at the right hand of the Father. His Father gave Him David's throne, and one day He's going to take David's throne. He's going to occupy. Jesus said, I will come again. One day He's getting up. And He's coming. And it's going to be the same Christ that comes that went up. And it's going to be the same Christ that was the eternal Son of God before He ever took a human body. But He took a human body and He's bringing a human body back. A perfect human body is the way we will see Him, the Bible says. We will see Him when He comes back. The promise of His return. And when He returns, you can forget about tomorrow. We're going into forever. In a true sense of the word. I mean, we're in the latter times. The times after His... Uh, Redemptive work. But he's going to be a king eternally. And the people of God are going to rule and reign with him. A thousand years down here, but then forever and ever up there. Up there and down here. Because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So again, think of that. Even throughout eternity, it's the same Christ. The same work of redemption that he did. Still intact. We're not going to get lost few thousand years down through there. Stuff's not going to wear out down there, you know. Stuff's not going to change down there because He, Him, His work, His Father, the Trinity, it's all going to be the same forever and ever. You start in eternity, you end into eternity. But let's, let's make a very point, point 
a very important point here at the end, again, about today and tomorrow. And that is this. Think about it. When today, you're living in today, we're living in today. But in reality, in some sense, having no promise of tomorrow, when today goes into tomorrow, forever begins. What are we talking about? Well, you're alive today. If you die, tomorrow will never come to you if you die today. But you know what will come tomorrow? Forever. Death and the grave can rob you of tomorrow. And you're going to go from today to eternity. And you know what? If Christ comes today, then again, that door of opportunity can be shut to those that are unbelieving. That's the parable of the virgins, isn't it? You know, if you're unprepared when the bridegroom cometh, guess what happens? The door gets shut. Then now is the day. Now is the time of opportunity to repent and believe the gospel. But there's going to be an end to that. And when that end comes, then it's just forever. Alive today, dead tomorrow. Today here, tomorrow in the forever. And tomorrow got taken away by that change called death. When Christ returns to judge sinners, there's not going to be a tomorrow. There's only going to be forever. It'll be the same Christ who saves sinners that will judge the wicked. He just hadn't shown us that part of himself yet. He's always been prophet, priest, and king. But he didn't manifest them all in the same way at the same time, did he? But we will see him as king forever and ever. Today is the only time for you, me, or anybody else to prepare forever. Because the bottom line is, we have no promise of tomorrow. But our Lord, that we proclaim unto you if you're lost today can save you today just as easily as he saved everybody else that is saved at this point in time with the same power, the same efficacy, the same forgiveness if you come to him. Because Jesus Christ, our Savior, the God of this book, the unchanging, unchangeable, immutable Christ is the same yesterday and today forever with a free offer of grace. But don't wait forever. God bless this to your hearing. All right, Cole. Sir number four hundred and thirty two. Oh, Mary. Oh, you. Uh, you're in the that binder still. So